Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. A quote for this week that I figured I'd share with you goes like this. Everything that irritates us about others can lead to an understanding of ourselves. Ain't that nice? Let's read it one more time. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. And that's by Carl Jung, who was a Swiss psychiatrist. This week's topics that we're going to talk about, special times of year like holidays and birthdays or New Year's Eve, are they tough on you? We'll see what some other Last Symptom followers have to say about that. Number two, correspondence and New Year well wishes that I got that I'd like to share with you. Number three, catching yourself in the act of inner dialogue. Number four, uh, my feelings, or let's say that the, uh, the last symptoms stance on DBT while at the same time trying to incorporate the last symptom into your life. And number five, campfire stories. I'm going to tell you a real life story, kind of a horror story, that involves many candy bars many candy bars. You know the kind I'm talking about. Let me show you anyway. I've got some right here. Yeah, here they are. These, these mini candy bars like this. Um, of course, you folks just listening to me on the uh, podcast can't see what I'm doing, but uh, as I'll announce here in a minute, these shows are now available as videos, and the folks watching the videos can see it. Oh, let's see here. So, how you all doing this week? You and I are on the very threshold, you know, the very cusp of a brand new year. So, as you might be able to hear in the background, I'm at the beach for a few days. Not enough time really to even get comfortable, but enough time to enjoy the sound of the ocean, get a little sun on me, before I head back to the grayness of Appalachia this time of year. Appalachia's not always gray, but in the winter times it surely is. I'll tell you what, I wasn't even certain about taking this trip because I had, and I still do have, so many things that I wanted to do that are last symptom related that I just really, I didn't see how I could fit it in. But the importance and the benefit of just setting things down 
and taking a few days off really cannot be overstated. You know, I'm just going to share with you my personal experience here for this trip. Uh, like I said, I, I was pretty busy. I just didn't feel like I'd be able to pull myself away from my work because I'd, I'd feel like I was neglecting things. But I decided to do it anyway. And just a couple days of dropping everything, getting a quick change of scenery, you know, getting out on the road a bit, has really rejuvenated me. I really can't overstate that enough. It's, I started feeling rejuvenated by the, well, not the first day, because the first day, you know, you're trying to get settled and everything, but by the second day, well, very rejuvenated and feeling a lot better. Funds were a bit tight, and I'll be paying off some expenses for a while for this trip, but all in all, it's amazing how beneficial this little getaway has been for me so far personally. So, if you've been hiding in your studios or your homes, getting too comfortable with just being there, not getting out and about, and getting, you know, getting out of your little comfort spaces, I highly recommend taking a little spontaneous road trip. Don't have to be anything, you know, super expensive or complicated, but just go. And I'd say the warning sign, the, the warning sign indicating that it would probably be in your best interest to get out and go do something, is when you're feeling very comfortable and reluctant to go out. That's probably the, the indicator. That's probably the time when emotionally and psychologically getting out would be the best thing for you. Well, we've got a couple of announcements here. And then we'll get into the meat and taters of today's show. www.thelastsymptom.com Full of uh, paid and free resources. I hope you all take advantage of that. And um, there's a couple of paid resources uh, that, uh, of course, support what I do. Those are one-on-one -on -one phone conversations with me, one-on-one -on -one Zoom uh, video conferences with me. And of course, the last symptom fundamentals course, which is a two-week intensive pre-recorded course that is superior to things like DBT, and um, it's no scarier than taking an online college course. You know, it's pre-recorded, so it's me presenting the information using a kind of a PowerPoint type program. It's about two weeks two weeks in length, so. Uh, that's what you need if you're interested in genuinely getting to the very foundation of what causes emotional disorder and how to get rid of it. Let's see, all of uh, the last symptom community activity is no longer on things like Facebook and those sorts of things. Uh, it's now on Locals, L-O-C-A-L-S, and you can get there by going to the last symptom dot locals l-o-c-a-l-s dot com as I mentioned earlier this show is now available as a video not just as an audio podcast but also as a video it's available on rumble and also on YouTube you can search for the last symptom there just by searching the last symptom or easier yet you can go to the last symptom dot com and there's a page there of the resource links and you can just follow the links to our last symptom community. 
here's the correspondence I got that I'd like to share with you. This is by MC, not MC Hammer, just MC. And she says, Brian Barnett, New Year's round the corner, and I hope your year will be filled with happiness and prosperity. I just want to take this moment out to thank you for all your work. I have not had a better insight into borderline personality disorder, despite having read books on the same and taken therapy for more than a year. The therapy helped a great deal for sure because it did suppress my symptoms for a while and gave me some insights as to what it is that I might be suffering through and why I've been so miserable in my own self and I desperately needed those answers to be able to go on living. But your posts and articles has made all the difference in my life. Gave me hope that the real cause of it can be treated instead of just the symptoms. It's not something inherent. I won't live with it forever managing the mere consequences or symptoms this disorder had on my life and all the things in it and wishing that somehow I was normal like other people and never had it. You made me see that I am normal and one of them. I don't have to strive to become anything except to regain my emotional health because I was born that way, full of self-worth. And I don't have to believe the lies anymore that led me to develop this disorder in the first place. Your recent post on why people with emotional disorders cannot share genuine intimacy despite being able to trust. Good God, I can't even explain that a chord has been struck somewhere deep inside of me. And all of your posts have had a similar effect. So this is me thanking you for having been born and for doing this amazing work and making it priceless. Well, MC, not MC Hammer, just MC, thank you so much for uh, such wonderful sentiments. I appreciate it very much and uh, hope that you have a wonderful year upcoming as well. Let's talk about catching yourself, having inner dialogue with yourself that you're really not even aware of in the moment that you're having it with yourself. This comes from uh, a Last Symptom member, JL, and this is from uh, 12-2019. JL says, today I caught myself for the first time thinking and believing that I am in fact unlovable. It feels like I caught myself in the act. Honestly, it hurts, and I want to change this belief. Today, I don't know how to do that. And this was my response to JL back at the time of the original post. I said, catching yourself in the act is the first step. Catching yourself in the act is the first step to eliminating it entirely. You, I hope he and you can see that you have to be able to see clearly what you're doing. We're talking about three different things here. What, how, and why. When you feel like things are very complicated and you start to get lost or buried under all these things, go back to the basics. What, how, and why. These are, all, these are the questions that you're trying to answer all the time when you have an emotional disorder and you're trying to get to the, the root of it. What, how, and why. 
It's really that simple. So you have to see, you know, in this case, the person's having this inner dialogue that he's worthless or he's unlovable, which is a reflection of a perception that he has about his inherent nature, right? If you're unlovable, that, that doesn't have anything to do with being unloved. Unloved is, uh, is one thing. Unlovable means that people couldn't love you even if they wanted to. You're incapable of being loved. You see how much more destructive that is than simply feeling like you're unloved. Same thing with worthless. You know, it's not like you're perceiving yourself as having done something worthless. It's perceiving yourself as worthless. It's a reflection about your attitude, your true beliefs about your inherent nature. That's why it's so destructive. So you first have to catch yourself doing that. That's the what. And then you have to ask yourself how. How you're doing it. Then you have to answer why. Why are you doing it? When you get those answers, that's when you begin to become powerful and being able to eliminate those things once and for all. But this person who caught himself in the act of having this dialogue that you're, you're worthless or you're unlovable, it's the same thing, caught himself for the first time, he said. And that is huge because it has to start there. You have to be able to first catch yourself doing that. That's the what. What am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm having this dialogue with myself. I'm, I'm trying to convince myself through this unconscious or subconscious dialogue with myself that I am worthless. That's the what. How are you doing it? Well, I'm doing it unconsciously. It's, it's actually a conversation I'm having unconsciously with myself. Now, why are you doing that? Once you answer the why, now you're really getting back to the beginning of when this started. When did you start having this sort of dialogue with yourself? But the what, the catching yourself while you're doing it, really is important. And that's, that's the first major step in being able to eliminate it once and for all. So if you're interested in uh, how to fine-tune and the, you know, the greater implications of what we've just talked about, you want to keep listening to The Last Symptom Podcast, join us over at thelastsymptom.locals.com so where you can talk about it more with us. And, of course, you want to take The Last Symptom Fundamentals course that's available over at www.thelastsymptom.com. All right, here's the conversation about DBT. And my personal feelings about somebody doing DBT at the same time that they're learning from the last symptom and maybe taking the last symptom fundamentals course and you know, learning from the last symptom. This is by LL, and this comes from July 2019. LL says, I found this podcast and the subsequent uh, last symptom group by typing overcoming fear of abandonment into the search bar in my podcast app and boy am I glad I did I'm currently participating in a DBT program and while I've learned a lot of good skills to help manage my emotions manage my emotions which you can't do nobody can control their emotions that's all horseshit but uh <laughs> 
they probably learned this from DBT, to be honest with you. The person probably learned this directly from DBT. Oh, I gotta learn how to manage my emotions. Something that human beings can't even do. As I've explained in the past, when you see somebody who appears to be controlling their emotions very well, they're not controlling their emotions. They're controlling what and how they think, but they're not controlling their emotions. They're choosing what to think and how to think. That's all they're doing. So anyway, the person goes on to say, uh, the extremely high cost and apparent aversion to delving into the past has made me wonder if DBT isn't quite the good, the gold standard that it's made out to be. One thing I was curious about is whether or not you believe that addressing and working on reprogramming those distorted core beliefs, which is the focus of the last symptom, focuses on the cause, the root cause from which all these symptoms sprout. My question is that if you believe addressing and working with the last symptom, let's say, can or should be done in conjunction with DBT. In other words, should I be doing both at the same time? And here was my response at, that t at the time of that post. I said, you know, it's not really a matter of whether or not you can do both simultaneously. Rather, it's a matter of there only being so many hours in a day. And what should your primary focus be? Clearly, each individual has to decide for themselves if they want to do DBT at all. By the way, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. It's therapy for your behaviors. It doesn't address the root causes of anything. But anyway, as I was saying, each individual, I can't tell you what to do. I wouldn't even try. But each individual has to decide for themselves if they want to do dialectical behavioral therapy at all. They have to decide if they need a weekly therapist and things of this sort. That's an individual thing that you have to conclude for yourself. But if a person is genuinely interested and authentically ridden himself or herself of an emotional disorder permanently and forever, authentically, and by the way, borderline personality disorder definitely falls into that category. It's an emotional disorder, so this applies to all emotional disorders. If a person is interested in getting to the root causes of them, eliminating it forever, once and for all time, at some point, they're going to have to put their primary focus and efforts in understanding the fundamental, the foundation problem, the root causes of the problem, rather than focusing on the symptoms and on superficial tricks. There's simply no getting around it. So some people may find it useful to take DBT and learn some of the superficial tricks that they teach in DBT so that they can temporarily and superficially white knuckle it through difficult situations or manage difficult situations better than they're used to superficially and temporarily I should say but keep in mind that while those people are spending time learning these superficial tricks what are they not focused on 
Well, their attention can't be there and at the same time be on undoing the cause, the underlying causes of the emotional disorder. Focusing upon and undoing the real cause, the underlying cause, takes real effort, real dedication, and real time. And any time that effort, dedication, focus, and time is directed somewhere else, it means time's wasted. What could take two years might very well take ten or not happen at all because, you know, the person gets distracted by just, well, these superficial approaches, focusing upon the symptoms and those sorts of things. So it seems very logical to me. In fact, it seems like the only logical thing. Instead of using your time and attention on these superficial things, use that same time, attention, focus, and energy on what really matters, what will truly eliminate the, your emotional disorder from the roots, then you don't have to learn superficial, uh, temporary coping tricks, right? White knuckle approaches to just that they're just focused on the symptoms. The, uh, the person that I was responding to here, LL, replied this way Thank you, Brian. I'm so grateful to have discovered your podcast a couple days ago. I've wanted to binge listen to all of the episodes of the podcast, but I have to stop and pace myself. The ideas that you've introduced in the first several episodes have been so powerful. And for the first time in a long time, I felt hopeful that true emotional health is something that is attainable. It is, by the way. Anybody who tells you it's not is lying to you. I was reading your article entitled, Can Borderline Personality Disorder Be Cured? And the reason I decided to post the question about doing both simultaneously is because of what you mentioned regarding pouring time and energy into managing symptoms only. I do have a lot of homework that I have to do regularly, regularly, including practicing skills while not under emotional distress. It takes a lot of time and effort. And while I don't consider what I've learned to be irrelevant or a waste, I do want to make sure that I'm focused on what will serve me the most. I'm committed to myself, eager to learn, and incredibly hopeful. I had come to accept DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, as the answer to treating DB, uh, borderline personality disorder. And then I stumbled upon your work. I've just listened to Season 1, Episode 13, and I have a long way to go. But the Last Symptom podcast has given me insight that no therapist, book, or class has ever been able to do. I love feedback like that. Another member of our group, JM, replied to the original post as well. There were several different comments along that thread, but uh, I took this one out because I particularly enjoyed it. JM says this, you're going to like this. I'm a master gardener, and I've come up with this analogy. Dialectical behavioral therapy and counseling and related therapies and meds have only served me to continually revisit my childhood. If I hear that word trauma one more time, I'll scream. And all the crap that hurt me. She says only one thing hurt me, my abusive parents. I'm just sick of it. 
It's like pulling a weed incorrectly, snapping off the top of the root. The garden looks great. The client is happy. But a week later, that darn weed rears its ugly head and back to work I go. <laughs> Isn't that great? What a great analogy. Everyone's happy for a while. I have work and my clients keep paying me. And I, on my hands and knees covered in dirt, revisited time and time again that darn weed. Unless I take my handy dandy fancy poker puller and go far beyond that top root and pull the whole thing out in its entirety, the cycle remains. I would much rather tend to the fruits and flowers than the weeds. Psychotherapists would also. Otherwise, they would be out of a job. Man, insightful stuff. Uh, brutally honest and insightful stuff. I agree with her. I agree that that's what many, not all, but many in the professional community are doing. They want to ensure their cash flow. It's the only thing that explains why why they would be so focused upon symptoms and superficial approaches to uh, the symptoms makes no sense whatsoever. It, well, let's say this. It makes no sense whatsoever for anybody that you're going to who is genuinely interested in helping you eliminate that thing once and for all and for real. If they're, if they haven't, if they're competent at all, then it makes no sense. But if you look at the, the way that they approach the thing, it's either incompetence, in many cases, not for, not for all of them. It's either incompetence or it's a desire to not disrupt their cash flow. That's the only thing that explains why their focus would be where it is. And we are at the end of the year. You know, it's just going to be like a couple more days and then we'll, we're going to be in 2022, folks. So, here's a conversation, conversation uh, thread by last symptom members about special days like birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, New Year's Eve, things of that nature. And this is by JB. And this is from April 2020. JB says, would anyone be able to speak to why special days like birthdays, holidays, and anniversaries are so hard for people with emotional disorders? Have you had any epiphanies about that that you'd be willing to share? Or are there any episodes that touch on this specifically? Let's just talk about episodes of the Last Symptom Podcast. I think it has something to do with the pressure to make something feel perfect, which is an unattainable standard. But if you have any experience working through this, I'd love to hear it. This was actually a thread that I did not comment on. I wanted to see what everybody else had to say. And I'm not really going to comment on it today, except for maybe to agree with some other folks' posts. Uh, but uh, I thought this was appropriate because of the time of year. And I know that a lot of folks in my community, this time of year is tough on them. The holidays and the end of the year. And, anniversaries and those sorts of things. I would just like to include that these events, you know, these type 
these times of year and that sort of thing are not just difficult on people with emotional disorders. I know that, for example, my beloved mentor, Dave Selvage, the Cherokee Indian I often talk about, his widow uh, often talks about how hard certain dates are for her. You know, for example, the time of year that he died, every time that comes around, it's a very difficult time of year for her. It's a very difficult time of year for me, too. When they would usually go on vacations together, like this time of year, also very difficult for her. And so uh, this is not just a thing that is uh, exclusive to people with emotional disorders, uh, but we'll talk about it in the context of folks with emotional disorders. Let's see what some of these other folks had to say. SMH, in reply to the original question, says, I think sometimes events like birthdays and anniversaries hold up a subconscious mirror in the soul in that they can be times of reflection. I tend to bumble through life without really noticing the passage of time as much as others do. I think annual events like birthdays, anniversaries, is when I notice just how fast time can fly and that another year has passed and another year of wasted opportunities has passed through my fingers like sand. Can you identify with that at all? We're going to read these comments and just see how many of these uh, maybe that you identify with. There will be some people that identify with some comments, other listeners and viewers who identify with other other comments that are made. H.J., responding to the original question, says, tied into expectations and living up to them? So better to send a meaningless card than be responsible for hurting someone's feelings. I warned my folks last Christmas that it was the last cards I would be sending so they should keep them put out for next year. That was uh, a little brutal, but perhaps very necessary for her authentic recovery. Remember, we don't keep anything in our life that's, that contributes more negatively than it does positively. Even if that includes family, we don't do it and expect to, to ever attain authentic emotional health or maintain authentic emotional health. JM says, as a wife of someone who has an emotional disorder. I can attest to this from a different perspective. My kids and I struggle with our birthdays and as my husband's emotional disorder has gotten worse over the last six years, we have come to dread our birthdays. My husband, though he can't see it, ruins these days for us. He can't let the attention be upon anyone else except for himself. And so he does everything he can on our days to turn it around to him. If the presents he gives are not acknowledged with a lot of enthusiasm, he becomes depressed and then talks about it over and over. As people come to visit the one having the birthday, he takes over talking about himself and things going on in his own life. Mother's Day is this way for me as well. His own birthday is one that everything has to be dropped for, and if it ain't perfect, then he struggles and becomes depressed. Holidays, pretty much the same way. 
but it's birthdays and Mother's Day that are hardest that are the hardest times here. He refuses to see that anything is wrong and therefore is not open to getting help. It's very rough. I've only mentioned just a tiny part of what I see. It all comes down to him feeling his worth is based on how everyone treats him and swoons over him. If he isn't constantly getting that attention, he gets upset, depressed, and instantly sees the other person as bad, if that makes sense. Sounds a lot like my dad. Uh, another poster, SMH, says, How is he at Christmas and New Year's Eve since these events are more group-focused rather than individual ones like Mother's Day? JM the person who was just talking before this question was asked says it's the same he's always trying to be the center of attention but he's always trying to do whatever he can to receive praise and acceptance from his family through gifts cooking playing with his nieces and nephews and trying to have them always tell him they love him and that he's their favorite and etc he has a very large extended family who is always together his drive is to receive acceptance and praise from everyone and leaves me and the kids behind. My kids' friends have even asked why their dad treats other kids better than his own. But it's the need to feel he is worthy of love that drives him. There is so much more I could say, but I won't. He denies anything is wrong. It's too much for him to look back and see how abusive his parents were to him. So he denies it boy can you identify with that either as being the person doing that and behaving that way or as being um, the recipient of uh, somebody like that I can it, she's describing my dad to a T SH in reply to that says I feel a deep sadness for children dependents who must endure this though no through no fault of their own the damage done can never be excused I agree with that dead on absolutely right there is no excuse for that doesn't mean that a person has lost cause it just means there's no excuse for that remember last week we talked about the difference between a good person and a bad person a good person even if they've been doing this for 50 years will at some point become willing to self-reflect even though the things that they're looking at might be painful Addressing those things and fixing them. That's what a good person will do. On the other hand, a bad person just won't ever care. They will never genuinely care. And, you know, that's really what it comes down to. Do you care or not? That's what it comes down to. Do you care or not? Because if you genuinely care about something, it gets done, doesn't it? Yeah, there's no question about it. Last week I talked about how my daughter had been wanting me to build a treehouse for her. I, you know, I'm sincere and genuine about doing it eventually, but if she asked me to do it, you know, like next weekend, it's probably not going to get done. Why? I don't care to do it next weekend. When I care to do it, it will get done. And that's the same way with things like this, you know. When the person genuinely cares about these issues we're talking about, things will happen. You will see effort and real action, but until then, it's all nothing so sh continues to say uh, i know as i was held captive by my parents and now in my 50s still working through their legacy they left me with no healthy life maps as i feel an overwhelming responsibility to not pass on that sickness and self-justification 
to my own children. ST says, I hate Christmas and birthdays. They always make me so sad and I have no idea why. I try to, to avoid them as much as possible. ST, I have no idea why is your work. That's the thing you need to focus on. What, how, and why? Those are the three questions that need to be answered in order for you to make genuine progress and eliminate these things from the roots. MM says, in my experience, I hated my birthday and Christmas, mostly because as much as internally I wanted the love and attention, I felt like I didn't deserve it. It was easier to self-sabotage and ruin it before the possibility of being disappointed. Can you identify with that? I can identify with that. I've told stories in the past about the night before vacation with my friend Jordan and my mentor, Dave Selvage, and how I couldn't, I couldn't allow myself to get excited about that because I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I didn't want any disappointment that could arise. I wanted to wait until I was safely there before I began to enjoy myself. To the original question, NM says, I think it ties into the feelings of worthlessness. Everything has either given us that temporary feel-good hit, confirming our worth for a bit of time, or confirming that we're devoid of worth altogether. It is a day that is all about us, so the expectations are high. I reckon she's talking about birthdays. Either everyone acknowledges us in some grand way, thus confirming we're valuable and worthy, or we're looking at all the ways others don't live up to our expectations, which we interpret as meaning we must not matter. Nothing is ever good enough because we don't feel good enough and we view everything through that lens and act accordingly. So many emotions and we let external factors influence them. It makes those days stressful. A.T. says this is the exact way I feel on birthdays. I see that if someone does something special or tries to make my day that it provides me a sense of worth just for the time being. And at the time, I also feel that I'm extremely undeserving of that treatment. But since it feeds my sense of worth for a while, I take it. On the other hand, if somebody close to me forgets to give me well wishes by midnight, or even forgets to wish me, uh, give me well wishes on that day at all, I just turn outrageous. I see the very incident as being the confirmation of the fact that I just don't matter and I'm worthless, and that's the reason they forgot my birthday. Let's see here. I'm not going to read all the comments. There's a bunch of them here. SR says that uh, I never really thought about it, but it's true now that I think about it. I've always been making a big deal out of my birthday, always sabotaging it myself, hoping that then my loved ones would do something big for me on that day. But at the same time, hoping as well that they would ruin it, as if to comfort myself in the thought that I don't deserve it at all. Uh, here's an interesting comment. <clears throat> I thought this was very intimate and insightful. <clears throat> JL says, My mom used to tell me on my birthday about how she nearly died the day I was born and tell me again about how she has the c-section scar which I apparently took the wrong way in my mother's messed up mind that was meant to show me love but it actually made me feel guilty for being born 
there's a mistake that the the person writing this has made. Did you catch it? You can't feel guilty for being born. You can feel shame for being born. You can't feel guilty for being born because you haven't done anything wrong. Guilt is specifically for things that you have done wrong. It's not a reflection on you. It's not that you're wrong. It's what you've done wrong. This person is talking about how her mother uh, has was shaming her with these messages. So it's really shame she's talking about, not guilt. So let's reword that. In my mother's messed up mind, that was meant to show me love, but it actually made me feel shame, shame for being born. On Christmases, she always got me some crap I hated, which I pretended to like. So I got the same crap every year. And at the same time, I felt like I wasn't allowed to like the gifts that other people got me. As an adult, I thought, if someone gives me a gift, I'm not pretending to like it because I'll get the same thing again every year. But people don't like it when you dislike a gift. So I've been forced to go back to faking it. What error in reasoning is she making here? Who's forcing her to do that? Are other people forcing her to do that? Or is this something she's putting upon herself? She doesn't have to do anything. She is putting this obligation upon her own self. She's, first of all, she's mind reading, and then she's living life according to what she imagines other people are thinking, rather than just being true to herself. So she's putting this upon herself. And then after putting this upon herself, what's she doing? She's saying, they're, they, they're making me do it. These are the, Those people out there, all these people outside of my body, are making me do what I'm doing. <laughs> but I appreciate her honesty. You know, we have to discuss these things honestly in order to call out the, pardon my language, but the horse shit, right? It's just a pain in the ass getting gifts and having to pretend and then feel guilty what are we really talking about? We're we really talking about guilt here? It's not guilt at all. It's, it's shame again. You can't feel guilty for what other people do. She's talking about feeling guilty that other people wasted their money. They didn't waste their money. They did what they wanted to do, and that's up to them. You didn't make them do anything. Therefore, that's shame we're talking about. So let's reword it again. It's just a pain in the ass getting gifts and having to pretend and then feeling shameful that the person wasted their money. Again, this is you assuming responsibility for what other people decide to do with their money. Even when I tell people that I do not like gifts, they keep doing it. You, know, you need to stop trying to control other people. Give up this, this load on your back which is not yours. It's not even close to being yours. You, you have no power, authority, or control over anything anybody else does. You're just assuming it. You're inappropriately assuming it anyway. And it, you, know, you still have no control. So it's a completely waste of time and energy. And emotion, to be honest with you. But you know, one thing we could really take away from today's lesson, I think, just reading these comments. Number one, people don't know the difference between guilt and shame. Maybe more people need to spend more time 
thinking about the differences between guilt and shame. I've done shows on that, written articles on that. Uh, if you need to talk about it in more depth, schedule a call with me. We'll get it down. And, uh, you know, this is something that you can, you can master in just two weeks. This is not something that takes years. You can master in two weeks learning to identify and distinguish guilt and shame. It's very important that you be able to do so for your authentic recovery. You have to know the difference between, between the two. Other thing is <clears throat> assuming uh, rights, responsibility, and authority over other people that don't belong to you. You're trying to assume them. You can't, but you're trying anyway to assume rights, responsibility, and authority over other people. If somebody buys me a gift, what control do I have over that person? I can't make decisions for them. The only thing I can make decisions for are myself. So why would I assume responsibility for them buying me a gift? It's absurd. Accept the gift graciously, and then you get to decide what you're going to do with that gift. But what we can't do is assume responsibility for other people's decisions, such as them deciding whether or not they want to buy you a gift. All right, let's talk about the last topic for today. Get off the uh, holidays and special days conversation. Let's talk about this post here from FG, and this is from uh, October 2019. And she says, I've been trying to think of how all my distorted thinking and beliefs take their root in the core belief or the underlying certainty that I am worthless. I was listening to Season 1, Episode 40 of The Last Symptom Podcast and had this epiphany. Interestingly, throughout my life, I've been very dismissive of good compliments, not believing them at all. And my mind has unconsciously focused on others' negative opinions of me to reinforce my subconscious or unconscious certainty about myself being worthless. This has obviously caused tremendous pain and emotional abuse, manipulation in my relationships, leading to and re reinforcing a very low self-esteem. It's the reason why I have an intense irrational fear of failure, because I have used every job rejection, heartbreak, to reinforce the belief that I am worthless. I see now why it's so important to trace everything back to the single belief to catch the mind from believing in this false reality. It's also very important for self-respect and getting yourself respected. Knowing and believing that you have inherent self-worth will automatically lead you. There's somebody sawing or something here nearby. It's probably picking up on the microphone, but I'm just going to keep going because we're almost at the end. I'll tell you, the ocean behind me, the sound of the waves, I feel like I have to talk extra loud really hope this recording comes out well. I just wanted to include the sound of the ocean for your benefit. Uh, not to show off that I'm here or anything like that, but just to, it's soothing. And I wanted to include that in the, in the recording today. She says it's also important for self-respect and getting yourself respected. Knowing and believing that you have inherent self-worth will automatically lead you to respect yourself. Yes, yes, she's getting it. For what? you are and who you are 
including your struggles and feelings, and will help you put an end to people walking over you or treating you like shit. Her words, not mine. Somebody else said, yeah, but how do you get there? She come back and said, Brian had shared this in another comment, and here's what he said, and she posted my original reply to her post, so I'm just going to read it. Whatever generated those feelings in the first place is still at the root of it all. Just waiting for another time to surface. You see, if you haven't gotten the reason for why your feelings feel that way, you haven't gotten down to the, the, the thoughts and the perceptions that are giving birth to those things, then they, they are just waiting for another time to surface. It doesn't matter how good you feel right now. Furthermore, this sort of approach is simply another example of running from feelings. Something people with emotional disorders have been doing all their life anyway. Almost all the problems in life for somebody who has an emotional disorder have come from trying to distract themselves from uncomfortable feelings rather than turning around and facing them head on, trying to figure out where they're coming from, what they're trying to tell you, and if they're even based on accurate perspectives or not. So what really must be our objective? Number one, to never run from feelings. Never run from feelings, no matter how uncomfortable they are. Number two, always try to determine the message that the feelings are communicating to us. You know, this is where most psychologists and therapists tell you to stop. They say, just sit and listen, you know, just sit and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And then they stop there. But this is where they get it wrong. You stop there if you just want to soothe your symptoms for 70 years. You know, you just sit and you just let yourself feel things. What does that do? That doesn't do anything. Number three is the next step. And they leave the third step out, and they leave the fourth step out, and they leave the fifth step out. I mean, I know because I went through that process where the therapists were telling me, you just need to sit and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling for a while. But that's not where it stops. That's not, that's not the whole thing. Number three, after you've stopped and sat and allowed yourself to feel what you're feeling, number three is tracing those feelings, messages, voices back to their origin. What's the origin? The origin is our own thoughts, perceptions, memories. Remember, all of our feelings are preceded by thoughts. Memories, perceptions, are just thoughts. And number four, determining concretely if those thoughts, perceptions, or memories are accurate or are they inaccurate? Are they the truth or are they telling us something that is a lie? Number five, determining concretely the reasons why or why not they are accurate or they are a lie. If I tell you there's a tornado outside, you feel fear. But if you go look outside and it's sunny and the skies are blue and you check the uh, weather radar and it shows nothing but blue skies, your fear goes away. Why? Because you don't keep feeling fear over a lie once you know for a certainty that there's, no, there's absolutely no truth to the lie. 
So we're doing the same thing with when we sit down and analyze our feelings. First of all, why do I feel that way? Where's this coming from? What's it trying to tell me? Okay, now I've established what it's trying to tell me and where it's coming from. Now I analyze, well, is that true? So for example, I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. Is that true? Well, first of all, where did those messages come from? Oh, okay, they came from my parents' attitudes and behaviors. and So then it can it be true? No, it absolutely can't be true. So that's the answer to that last little bit there. Now, for the campfire story. The guy, somebody saw him here in this condominium. It's like a table saw. I can hear it. I hope you can't. But if you can, I apologize. You know, I don't have my typical setup here. I did grab my microphone and bring that with me this year. I, I think I said last year I wasn't going to try to do this again through a my telephone mic, I was going to bring a proper microphone, and so I did that. The story I wanted to tell you, which is about these mini candy bars, not particularly this brand, by the way, but just, you know, like assorted mini candy bars. One Christmas, I remember it snowed something fierce, and uh, I had an aunt and uncle live right down the road. My cousins lived down the road, too. And my mom, we must have had, I mean, there must have been four feet of snow. And my mom said, I'd like you to run something down the road to your aunt. And I don't remember what she had me running down there. It might have been bread, it might have been butter, it might have been salt, it might have been anything, you know, like neighbors do. But they were down the road. So she sent me out, I had to bundle up, and I went hiking through the woods and across the field and to shortcut across the road to get to my aunt's house and deliver this thing that my mom wanted me to deliver to her. And I just remember tromping through that snow. That snow was really high up, and so I had to, it was a lot of work to get from my house to their house. And I got there, and the snow was packed up, you know, in front of their door, and I was just, it was hard getting in. It was still snowing. Nobody had had time to shovel or anything like that. Got in, delivered the thing. I was visiting my uh, cousins there, and they were all opening up their Christmas presents. And I was looking at their toys and the things they got and everything, and they were all excited. I remember they had the the wood stove going. They had one of those uh, stand-up wood stoves, and everybody was huddled around that wood stove, opening up the presents and everything like that. So I delivered the thing to my aunt. And she said, hey, Brian, before you go, would you like some of these uh, mini chocolate candy bars? And she had this enormous bag of these mini chocolate candy bars. I said, sure. She says, well, load up on them, buddy. So I loaded up my hands full of those mini candy bars. And they were assorted. So all different types of candy bars, and I stuff in my pockets with them. I visited with my family there for a little bit, my relatives, while they were, you know, opening up their Christmas presents and doing their Christmas stuff. That was Christmas Day, back when I was about, oh, I reckon nine years old. I was probably nine years old, ten years old. So finally, I thought, oh my goodness, I have to make that trip back to my own house through all that snow. It was like blizzard conditions outside. So I got bundled back up again. And I went back out the door trudging through the snow and as I was trudging through the snow I was just picking those chocolates out of my pocket and just popping them in my mouth and then stuffing the trash 
you know the the um, the wrappers in my other pocket I bet you I ate 12 15 of those little chocolate bars before I got back to my house and I got in emptied those chocolate bars out on the table to share with the rest of my family went downstairs near my stove our, our wood stove to get the rest of the layers of my clothes off and uh, went back up to eat some more of those chocolates this is before my family ever had a chance to get to them and this time I opened one up and I was looking at it as I was opening it up taking the wrapper off of it and when I, I broke it in two to eat it uh, there were maggots in it yeah the, the thing was ridden with maggots and I thought what the heck I put that aside I picked up another one unwrapped it opened it up and it was also ridden with maggots oh my god and I had been walking like I said between their house and my house through the snow just popping those things into my mouth and I must have ate 15 to 20 of those by the time I got to my house and every one of them were overridden with maggots you know maggots like like you'd find a dead animal or something wriggling wriggling live maggots that's a true story and uh, fortunately I'll tell you something about maggots that you may or may not believe but it's true uh, they're good they're good for you they're just protein in a survival situation you would absolutely you would eat maggots they're, they're, they're not going to hurt you at all and like I say in a survival situation if you were to come across some corpse or something like that and you could you could scrape the maggots off um, those maggots would be perfect uh, perfectly good calories and protein there's nothing harmful about them at all but you know just to find them in those chocolate bars after I had eaten like 12 to 15 or 20 of them I mean I had eaten a bunch of them uh, it was kind of well, it was memorable let's just put it that way and it was memorable enough that I remember to tell you about it um, now all these years later true story true story well folks thanks for being here with me i apologize for any of the sound issues and um, i hope you have a wonderful end of the year and let's get this new year started off to just a wonderful a wonderful 2022 what do you say i'll see you folks next week you all take care mm -hmm.